Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes in the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. What's the opposite of honk? <laughs> Knaw. I mean, caw. Knaw. Caw. Caw. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, sure. I was like, because last week was honk. I didn't, I didn't know what to do this week. Yeah. Whatever. Anyways, today we're going to be recording episode 129, where we're going to talk about our top 10 planeswalkers, because we are well informed on the topic. I mean, yeah, this, this was kind of spurred on by... Was it last week we were talking about Oko and we're talking Ari about Ari Lax's tweet, yeah, about uh, what was it? How in the last like year and a half, probably half of the top ten planeswalkers of all time have been printed, and mm-hmm. there's a very good chance that of the top five, only one most of them, of them are no, only one of them was not printed in the last year and a half, and that's J- Jason yeah. Mind Sculptor. So yep. it's very much a argument to be made. Um, it's because of that we just wanted to go through the list. Now, to be fair, John and I weren't playing when, I mean, I would have said half the Planeswalkers that have ever been printed, but where the spark really threw that off. Yeah, when you put 32, 36 Planeswalkers in a set, that just like... It's just a lot. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, from Lorwyn through Return to Ravnica block... Neither is, of us were playing. We weren't playing. So there were some powerful ones in there. Some of them made the list. Yeah, I've, I've played. I have played with most of these. A heavy, um, heavy number of these on our list have been out since we've been playing again. Yep. So, so 2014 and onward has they've they've been ratcheting up the power level. Unfortunately, I mean power creep is a thing. But anyway, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we do, we're gonna turn our eyes quickly to eyes on the community. Uh, this weekend is Magic Fest Five or Mythic Championship Five. Yay! <laughs> yeah. So the deck lists are out. Uh, we'll post in the show notes, but hey, uh, Golos based decks are like forty eight percent of the field. Hmm, wonder what's wonder why they moved that uh ban and restricted announcement up again. I don't know. Yeah, it's what next week? Not it's like Monday. It's it's Monday. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, hope hope you kids enjoy your last weekend with Field of the Dead because I'm pretty sure that's dying. I mean, you had you you had to be a tireless pilgrim to find any unique unique decks in that uh in that metagame. But apparently somebody was playing Mardu Cauldron Cat, so hats off to them. Uh, there's a couple people, I think. Oh. Uh, Mardu Knights. There's a couple, no, a couple Mardu Knights. The Cauldron Cat sack deck is only one person. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the Knights uh, deck. I think Jerry's on that one. Yeah. Um, there's also a the Chalice Charity event run by Card Kingdom on their Twitch. Uh, that is officially starting on Sunday, October 27th. The competitors are currently drafting the sets that they're going to build their decks from. I think they're currently in round three of four. I yeah. think they got one more one more round to go. Yeah, they pick um, they initially pick a uh, corset, then they have a grid of they pick the top row, then the middle row and then the bottom row. It's a lot, a lot of like first sets, second sets, third sets if I recall correctly. Yeah, for the most part, it's kind of weird. Cuz like it's really cool the professor they're all, they're all drafting with gifts yeah. and stuff. It's kind of fun. Exactly. Um But but anyway, the, it raises money for Serious Fun Camps, which was founded by Paul Newman and it is a Children's Network of Global Community Camps and Programs Serving Children with Serious Illnesses Free of Charge. So that's a really, really good uh, cause to be behind. So go check it out. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. All of your favorite, like an absolute ton of amazing content creators are in on this. And we'll be at Mox Boarding House on October 27th. I'll be in chat moderating. I'll say hey. And to no one's surprise, Tappy Toe Claws picked Ixalan. Yeah, of course. Rawr. Rawr. Um, next, the Magic Fest 2020 schedule was posted with two formats already announced. Uh, January 10th, Magic Fest Austin has a modern main event GP, and then Ju- New Jersey the next week has a limited main event GP. Yeah, uh, so I believe... Now, hold on, I'm pulling up the actual page for it. Okay, never mind. Oh, that's weird. I guess because there's two more before the next players tour after that. It's really weird. Yes. Because we know Austin at the beginning of January and then New Jersey at the end of January. Yeah, January 24th. Yeah. And then there's a holiday weekend or a double weekend in Brussels, Nagoya, and also Players Tour Pacific, Players Tour. Oh, that's why. Because the Players Tours are combined with that, these things. Yes, they are. So we have like how they mentioned they were going to the global regional kind of qualifiers, I guess. Players Tour qualifiers. Yeah, there's the Players Tour Regionals, and then if you do well in those, you go to the Players Tour Finals. Yeah, so Magic Fest Nagoya is also Players Tour Asia, APAC, Nagoya, and Brussels will hold the Players Tour Europe qualifiers. 
Then the week after that in February is Magic Fest Phoenix, which hosts the Americas. So Canada, U.S., Central America, and uh, Latin America. I guess you can call Latin America with South America because that's how they like to refer to yep. themselves. So Latin America, which, by the way, is getting utterly hosed on events. There's uh, There are zero uh, can- Canadian GPs. Uh, no, no, no. There are two. Toron- oh, there's two? There's which Toronto ones are- and Montreal. Oh, there you are. If you're, you're referring to Ben Wheeler's tweet, He's yeah. he was looking at there's nothing west. So there's no Calgary. Sure, sure. There's no Edmonton. There's no uh, Vancouver. Vancouver. So for people in like Western Canada, they either have to travel all the way out east or head to uh, Seattle or Portland. But yeah, because there's Portland at the end of the year, and then I'm looking yeah, for the Seattle. week before Christmas is Portland, and everyone's like, Ooh, oh hell, yikes. yeah. Then Seattle's June 5th. Yeah, that's fair. So I was looking at this. Um, basically, I'm thinking New Jersey, and I'm gonna try make Seattle in June, and after that, who knows? Because Army, yay, yay Army. Well, I mean, there's also a weird off chance. I gotta talk to Lindsay about it, but I'm gonna be like, yo, Lindsay, Reno, let's go. Because <laughs> people are gonna be, because Las Vegas is August 27th, which is the weekend before Labor Day, even though it goes basically to the beginning of uh, September. Yeah. But how Labor Day works, it's the first Monday of September, but that means the first, the first of September is on a Tuesday, so therefore it's like the seventh. It's like the latest you literally can have Labor Day be this year on 2020. Mm-hmm. So that's PAX weekend historically. So I don't think I can run a Vegas into packs. That's kind of the same issue that happened to me this year. Plus, also, I might be in training. Who knows? Army. <laughs> um, people in Great Britain are kind of miffed. There's London. I believe that's it. Oh, Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool yeah. in July in London. So uh, Europe is kind of getting a little... Europe's weird. America has a ton. Well, uh, America gets generally has a ton. Like just in the first quarter, you've got Austin, you got New Jersey, you got Phoenix, you got Reno, you got Detroit, and you got Louisville. Yeah. So uh, also another heads up on this too. Channel Fireball, Channel Fireball posted a quote tweet with their nice little cool little schedule. They also replied to it saying, "Hey, formats through Houston will be announced soon." Now Houston is April twenty fourth. That is release weekend of Ecoria. Yeah, Ecoria. Yeah, that's Ecoria release weekend. So that will most likely be limited, maybe standard. Well, New Jersey, I think, is release weekend for Theros, but um, in the underworld. So, oh yeah, yeah. so okay, so then Houston will most likely be Ecoria limited. Yeah. Oh my God, one of the GPs is going to be a limited release weekend. Oh, well, you're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least it's limited and not standard. Oh, so also, I want to say I mentioned Channel Fireball tweeted it, not CFB events. I also commented on this on Twitter. If you follow me, hey, uh, that. Surprisingly enough, Channel Fireball Events is the company that runs all of these things. However, they don't haven't made an announcement, even like retweeting their own Channel Fireball account as of recording. And this was like yeah. tweeted at three in the afternoon, and it's seven thirty in the evening now, my time Eastern. Yeah. So it's like now. To be fair, the CFP Events page, Twitter page has been replying to people on an almost like once or twice a day basis sometimes missing a day or two all the way back through july but their actual last post if you just go initially under tweets is a retweet of gabby sparts from like july so yeah there is not a lot of i guess original content quote unquote air quotes on that one so yeah i don't know it's weird the branding needs to they need to figure something out branding wise with that but that's not anything i can control anyway go look at the calendar it's in the show notes uh the end half of the year seems like it has a lot more events. Like quarter one, quarter three has the least amount of events. Quarter two has the second most. And quarter four, and this is not using mm-hmm. uh, fiscal quarters, by the way. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, go check it out. See if there's a Magic Fest near you. John, you mentioned you might be going to Austin, which is modern. Modern. I might be going to Austin. Yeah, we'll see. Austin, Massachusetts. I no, it's, pretty sure it's, that's Austin Tejas. That's, but that's sure. a, no, it's a joke from uh, Road Trip. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, Tom Green's character gets confused because he they're going on road trip to Austin, but he says Austin, Massachusetts. You mean Boston? It's like yeah, Boston. They go the wrong way. Of course, old really crappy frat pack comedy from the nineties or late two thousands, <laughs> early two thousands. Anyway, yep. Moving yes. on. Moving on. Last thing that's on the docket before we talk and talk about our planeswalkers. Is uh command fest command fest DC info was posted question mark yeah and you might be there 
Uh, might. I will. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> uh, so for me, I will be at PAX Unplugged. Hold on. Got to get the calendar out so I can get the dates right. Uh, that would be the 5th through the 8th of December. So it's the 6th, 7th, and 8th of December. Which, by the way, they're also doing those mystery pack things that they announced like a week or two ago. I'm going to be doing one of those events. Heck yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, the last packs unplugged, they had, was it Ultimate Mass? No. Yes? The box toppers, Ultimate Masters, right? Yes, Ultimate Masters box toppers. Yeah, box Ultimate toppers. Masters, they had the pre- like kind of pre-release events and stuff like that at last packs unplugged. So we're doing the mystery packs this year, which will be mystery packs at packs. CKS versus AX. Anywho, uh, the Command Fest DC information is at Dallas Expo Center, which is usually where channel, or not, not channel football. The other one that hosts events, which is Star City Games, they, that's where they do SCG DC. And also the Grand Prix get held at this Expo Center, which is close to the airport. But uh, they only posted the hotel information. More details coming soon. It's December 13th to 15th. I will be there. So I'll see you kids. I'll be playing some Commander. I'll bring my busted Animar deck. <laughs> I say it's busted be- only because it's been... I've literally played it four times on... Uh, Olivia Gobert Hicks's stream, uh, which is I'll put her title down there. It's Affinity Artifacts. She streams live EDH, which is awesome. Uh, we basically take our webcams pointed at our desks and play. So do four player commander. I've played Animar four times and won four times, and Animar is straight busted. Morphs, by the way. So anyway, I'll bring that. Maybe tweak it. Power adjusted. Who knows? Anyway, commander. Yay! But we're not talking about Command. commander because. Some of these, I don't know, these don't really even see much play in Commander. All the ones that I play in my decks are different, but... Yeah, Planeswalkers and Commander are always kind of sketchy because a lot of the power from Planeswalkers comes from the 1v1 formats where, especially some of the ones on our list where we we mentioned before in the podcast where, you know, if a Planeswalker can protect itself, that's a a very big kind of key point. Yeah, Um, especially with Limit or Commander with multiplayer, uh, you've got to, you can... you can stick that four or five mana planeswalker on curve. That's pretty powerful, but it's probably dead by the time you get back to it. Just because, yeah. Unless you, yeah. Unless you take some severe steps, like you're playing, you know, super friends, and you're or you're playing pillow fort, and you're you're ensuring that your planeswalkers live for a decent amount of time. Or there's some of the planeswalkers that were designed for commander, so like you know, Sahili the Gifted, Lord Wind Grace. Duretti, Scrap or Savant, or Scrap Savant, and so on. The monocolor ones. Yeah. Uh, so I actually run three in my Animar deck, and surprisingly, none of them are on this list. I mean, one of them probably could have been. Like, an honorable honorable mention goes out. Shout out to Eugene. <laughs> uh, Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Because Morph, yes. it does great things. They're colorless. But then the problem is, if you stick, like, an Ixodron and flip everybody else's things upside down, they're also colorless. So then gets kind of weird and awkward in a way yeah it gets um, a little weird i there. run oh, what's the new one what's the vivian from oh the three mana vivian the one from yeah we're the spark the, where you can yeah, play creatures um, at instant speed hey can't think of which what its name is off the top of my hand champion of the wilds i want to yeah, say that's it yeah i play her just because i mean being able to play creatures at instant speed is pretty busted when you cast them for free but usually I don't even play her on curve because that requires usually like a Seaborn Muse setup. Yeah, really. And it is Champion of the Wilds. Yeah, you play Seaborn Muse. And also the new U- Eugene, the new Ugin. Yes, uh, that, uh, the Ineffable. Yeah, that makes colorless spells two, two mana less. So, by the way, morphs are like one mana. Yep. Which are amazing. Uh, so that helps the mana. And that's the only reason why I play those is because Eugene can board, or big Eugene uh, from Favor Forged, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can wipe everybody else's board while you leave your thing of morphs, then you start flipping things. And yep. crazy is like basically six mana colorless wrath, kind of like all is dust, but cheaper, but more versatile. Anyway, it's yeah, because you know you're gonna hit that one colorless player and just be like, well, my all is dust is humped. That's why I took it out. Anyway, we kind of focused for the most part on constructed with this. I slipped in a limited all star bomb in my list just because if you play cube at all, it's busto. Um, so John, I, how do you want to handle this? Do you want to just run down your 10 or cause to be, yeah, I think, I think we have maybe like a two card difference between each of our lists. 
Yeah. So I think I'll just I'll run down mine first because you go, definitely you added. Go ten, you go your number ten, and I'll, I'll on my number ten because it sure. differs there. And then we'll sure. kind of like just run down the list. Sure, sure, Actually, sure. So let me do my honorable mentions first because none. Yes, no, I was going to suggest no cross, that too. There's no crossover. So my first one is well. There's one crossover. It leads into it. Yes, it leads into it. Anyway, my first one's Dak Faden, the planeswalker who uh, bust onto the scene and show that. Oh man, Wizards actually makes Planeswalkers in supplementary sets that are straight up busto in Eternal formats. Because three mana deck, which is a plus one, draw two cards, and discard two cards. By the way, that's Faithless Looting and it's banned. Minus two, gain control of a target artifact. Minus six, get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell that targets one or more permanents. Gain control of that permanent. Again, he's a one blue, red, three loyalty Planeswalker. He's great, but he's not amazing. So. I had to kind of highlight that it's a theme throughout this. Three mana planeswalkers are pretty good. Pretty good. Put Dak in modern, you cowards. Dak's dead, though. Rip. Poor Put him in modern horizons. It's all the same. <laughs> wow, that'd be rude. Uh, so the next one of my uh, honorable mentions is good old JVP, the one in a blue cre- legendary human creature wizard, or human wizard that's an O2, the tap, draw card, discard. If there are five or more cards in your graveyard, exile Jason's prodigy or turn the battlefield control. But transformed under his owner's control, which is Jace Telepath Unbound, a five loyalty planeswalker at the plus one, up to one target creature gets minus zero, minus two, minus zero until your next turn. Minus three is you may cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that card would be to put in your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So it's basically gets flashback, or it's the Snapcaster target ability. Uh, you get an emblem, and the number minus nine ultimate-ish is you get an emblem with whenever you cast a spell, target opponent puts the top five cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. It's kind of a weird mill con- con that came up only rarely. I brought this on here just because JVP straight up, when it was spoiled or previewed, everyone's like, eh. And it went from being a $10 card on pre-order to literally one of the most expensive cards in one of the most expected expensive standards of all time it held like a 140 dollar price like 130 dollar price tag i think at its peak in the four color dark jeskai decks and then it was a straight up all-star in the uh rally the ancestor decks as well of that standard yeah. era straight- since we're talking about uh the flip walkers hats off to my boy kithian uh He's done a whole lot of good for me in White Weenie Cube decks. Oh, he's amazing in White Weenie Cube. <laughs> Straight up. He's the, he's the best. So I mislabeled this. But anyway, Sahili Rai uh, is the next one on the list. Three mana. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm just going to stop running through all these abilities for some of these. You can look them up. Uh, it's going to take too long to run through all these honorable mentions. But uh, famously known for making the copycat deck, uh, bringing Splinter Twin into standard with Felidar Guardian. Basically... How it work is you would get Sahiliarite on the battlefield on turn three. On turn four, you would play Feldar Guardian, which is three and a white. Sahiliarite is minus two. Middle ability is create a token that's a copy of target artifact or creature you control, except it's an artifact in addition to other types. That token gains haste, exile the beginning of your next end step. Now, Feldar Guardian lets you basically flicker Sahiliarite. So you make a copy of Feldar Guardian, or the initial copy would target Sahiliarite, basically flicker, and then you t- down ticker, target. Feldar Guardian, flicker it, or basically make the copy. The copy enters, gets the the target ability, the flicker Sahili Rai, and you just keep minus twoing her down to one continuously, and then you have a f- army of cats that just swing in like you would a whole bunch of Deceiver Exarchs, or yeah, let's do Deceiver Exarch because they don't fly. A lot of cats. Yeah, it, it crops up in modern sometimes. People mess around with it because people miss Splinter Twin, but yeah. And then, it's never happening. Yeah, so then there's some four-mana strong planeswalkers that I wanted to mention. Uh, we got Karn the Great Creator. Uh, basically, that is on here just because it introduced a wish effect onto a planeswalker that you can basically leave a win con in your sideboard and bring it in with Karn the Great Creator. And that's minus two. You may choose an artifact card you own from outside the game or you're in exile, reveal it, and put it in your hand. So you get Mycosynth Lattice, usually, or some other kind of spell. It also says activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated now mycosynth lattice makes everything into artifact therefore nothing actually can ever tap or you basically lock your opponent out of mana at that point it's gross it's disgusting it's a prison lock that it's nearly impossible to beat 
you basically have to like wait for it to go on the stack. I don't even know how to do it. There's weird loops holes. It's hard to do. Yeah, loops are weird. Uh, and then let's see the next one. Chandra, the Torch of Defiance from Kaladesh. We saw her. She's I mentioned her because she's a two two blue. Two or not two, two blue. Two. I, my bad. I'm thinking Jace. Uh, two red, red for loyalty planeswalker with four abilities on it, which which basically harkened everybody back to Jace, the Mind Sculptor, which is a two blue, blue planeswalker that also had bonkers abilities on it uh, with four. Uh, she was playable the whole time she was in standards and is still amazing in or Highlander. I love her in my deck because she gets that extra two mana and all that stuff. Plus, she can. Just chunk two damage each opponent, which is hilarious in, like, it's hilarious in two-headed giant. And then the last one, good old Chad, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, two white, white, four loyalty planeswalker that was just one of, it's one of, it has as a plus ability where he becomes, like, a creature that can attack and be indestructible, like, pretty much every Gideon has. But the fact he can mine, he just zeroes to create a two-two to block is just strong as heck. And then you can just straight up, like, play him as a four mana anthem like you just minus for him kill him right away but you get a emblem with creatures you control get plus one plus one it was not uncommon to see people were just basically minus for their gideon play another gideon minus for the, that gideon and then just swing out with a whole bunch of creatures back in the day when uh it was in there pretty good guy yep. but then the next one is my last honorable mention but john's number 10 planeswalker on the list john go for yep. it so, you know, some colors in since the old days of yore have been crapped on as not good enough. And then they made Planeswalkers. And then, you know, this Planeswalker just happened to be the best of the original five. And it wasn't Jace. It wasn't the blue one. Uh, it wasn't Chandra. And it wasn't Liliana. And it definitely wasn't a Johnny because it was Garrick Wildspeaker. 2GG for a three-loyalty Garrick. Legendary Garrick now. Yeah. He has a plus one untapped two lands you control. Minus one, create a 3-3 three, three beast. And minus four, uh, just, you know, straight up overrun. It's creatures you control, get plus three, plus three, and gain trample until end of turn. Now, yeah. keep in mind, not an emblem. He just minus four to that ability. Yeah, the emblem technology didn't appear until um, Elspeth Knight Errant. And even then, they didn't come up with the terminology emblem until, I think, around Scars of Mirrodin around that time. Um, but Garrick is just very, very powerful Sees play in commander decks, very playable in cube, will pop up in modern decks from time to time if you're really trying to cheat on mana or if you're trying to do things like Nykthos or Utopia Sprawl. There's an all-around very powerful Planeswalker and just, you know, doesn't see, you know, that much play right now, but he's always a classic and he's definitely one of the best of the original ones. And I, I felt I would be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge the Lorwyn 5 on uh, my top 10 at an, at, at some point. Yeah, I, will, I actually will say Garrick was the final cut that I made, I was at like 11 and I bumped him down to honorable mention just because that plus one is crazy because you can play him on four. But the thing is, is you probably had mana dorks out. So you're probably playing this Garrick on like turn three. And then you're just untapping the two minutes. You used to tap that and you can run out two more mana dorks and then you can untap everything. And you're sitting with like an ungodly amount of mana on turn four, which is back then. And even in cube, Garrick is amazing, like because those lands you mentioned, Nykthos, for instance. I mean, right, provides two pips for it. Yeah, and the three three beast became like a literal staple of almost every Garrick afterwards. Uh, yep, three three beast token. So, absolutely cool shout out there, ten for John. And my number ten, I got to bring it. This is my limited all star cube all star, the one, the only Splashyok. I mean, it's Ashiok Nightmare Weaver. The one blue-black three-mana from Theros, Planeswalker, Ashiok. Plus two, exile the top three cards of target opponent's library. A minus X. Put a creature card with converted mana cost X exiled with Ashiok Nightmare Weaver onto the battlefield under your control. That creature is a nightmare in addition to its other types. And a minus ten. Exile all cards from opponent's hands and graveyard. I'll tell you what. Basically, you're never using that minus ten. Never. <laughs> Very rarely. Very rarely. Um, that's only if your opponent somehow does a bounce effect, and I don't know. It's weird. You're never really doing that. Anywho, uh, the reason why I put this on there, it's an utter 
beating if you if you're in playing in a cube and Ashok is there and you are in one of these two colors and have the ability to splash into it the other one. So say you like green blue, you're gonna have amazing mana most likely and can probably splash that black rather easily. I will absolutely yeah. first pick the heck out of Ashiok in most cubes. Yeah, and limited just the plus two of exiling the top three cards of your opponent's library is almost backbreaking. And then in the instances where you're playing against a creature deck and you're able to just go, you know, oops, I'm going to take your whatevers. It's just very powerful. And sometimes you just play it and you just keep ticking it up until your opponent is like, I, I need to find some, some way to deal with it. And a lot of decks just don't if you're able to deal with the board. So Yeah, so basically think about it. You draw seven, right? So you initially on a limited deck, you're sitting with 40 cards. You, you're already at 33 cards by the time you're drawing your first card. If this, if you can play this on turn three or, God forbid, turn two, if you're in like green-blue splash with a Birds of Paradise, like, good lord, your opponent's going to... If you're on the play, your opponent's with, what, 31 cards in their library? By the time this hits the battlefield, you're literally chunking away a tenth of their deck. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm doing a quick uh, quick look right now um, at all the three mana planeswalkers that are modern legal, um, and I think, and I'm going to say this, that Ashiok is the best three mana planeswalker that's not seeing play in modern. Yeah, and I'll and it's most likely, I would say, because of that same thing with the plus, plus three ability, or the plus two yeah. ability, is that it's amazing when you're looking at a 40 card deck. But adding an extra 20 cards onto your deck just changes that percentage of math so much. Plus, cubes are going to be a lot more skewed towards creatures. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's pretty true. Uh, so, And there's also a lot of decks in other formats where you might only have three or four creatures in the deck. So, in essence, you're literally just milling away your opponent's stuff, which is fine, I guess. I mean, Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy don't do Ashiok any favors. Yeah, there's there's definitely some removal that will just absolutely pick off Ashiok, and you might just be like, oh, I just hit three lands, uh-huh, and they just milled you down. Like, it's it's the rottiest of thinking, so the most rules-oriented of thinking for basically being like, oops, I just milled three of your lands off with Ashiok and just cut you to straight gas. That's not how it yeah. works. You literally took three lands away from them. But at the yeah. same time, yeah, it's very boomer bust, definitely strong it fits the three mana planeswalkers are incredibly powerful it was great and limited that's why i have it on there so yeah. john and i kind of differ on our next number nine but only i think we're just going to skip them because we both have them higher on each other's list <laughs> so i think we should just go ahead well actually home because we're limited on time we'll just go ahead and you know say our number nines are higher on each other's lists it's our number eights are different <laughs> spots on the list are in different spots on our lists. Um, my number seven is higher on your list, but your number seven is not on my list, so, although I did think about her. All right, so actually, you know what? F it. Let's just run down the list because this is going to get too confusing. For the <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I know what I'm doing. We're good. All right. Just go ahead. What's your number seven? My number seven is Elspeth Sun's Champion. Uh, the oops, bad. Uh, the four white, white legendary planeswalker that had four loyalty when it came down from Theros. Uh, it plus one puts three soldiers on the one one soldiers on the battlefield minus three destroy all creature with power four or greater minus seven you get an emblem with creatures you control have plus two plus, get plus two plus two and have flying. Uh, this was the and I say the with all capital T H E control finisher in her time and standard. If you were playing control, be it uh, it was just mostly what well when it was when it was theros rtr she was the finisher alongside supreme verdict and sphinx's revelation and then when you moved over to to concept of tarkir she was the win con in the abzan control decks the upper end of the abzan mid-range decks look plus one make three dudes seriously is really good yeah usually like you're you're plus one you get like a single token you're like i'll take it cool this is three so you could like make three chump one off or even chump two off, then, oh, now I have four, chump two more off, then chump, you keep chumping with them, and then eventually, you hit that seven, you probably just take an up to eight, and then you pop it down to one, and then all of your one ones are now three threes and eating everything instead of just chumping, and it's disgusting. And your opponent's probably dead, because they also have flying. Yeah, and by that point, you probably countered or killed everything in their deck, and it's amazing, she's great. Yeah. John, so yeah. I guess I'll let you handle this. Sure. My, uh, well, 
we get up to number six, and then my number six is higher on your list, but your number six is my number seven. Oh my god, you're killing me with this. <laughs> you're like you're even is... killing me, and I'm looking at the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you're the one, well, I'm looking at the show notes. I'm the one who ordered mine ten to one. You ordered yours one to ten. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, but your number six, my number seven is the best three mana planeswalker ever printed. Ignore the fact that it says seven generic on the top right corner. Yeah. <laughs> it's Karn Liberated. It's the best you know. three mana planeswalker that costs seven. <laughs> it's so uh Karn Liberated plus starts at six loyalty, seven mana, plus four uh target player exiles a card from their hand, minus three exile target permanent, and then minus four, you restart 14. the game with minus fourteen, sorry. You restart the game with all permanents, with all non aura permanents that are exiled by Karn Liberated on under the battlefield on your under your control. Uh, also, the only way to get rid of infect counters. That is very true. Uh, Karn is an absolute beating. Usually, if a Tron player sticks a turn three Karn, you're probably not winning the game. You you probably are scooping like two to thir- three turns later because it's really hard to kill something down from ten. Yeah. <laughs> if now not, if Karn has to go, you know, Karn minus, you're in a little better spot. But generally, well, if you're you sitting, know, if you're sitting on two lands and they go Karn minus one of your lands away, and you're now sitting with one land on the battlefield and a handful. Oh of yeah, two no, you're you're not feeling great, and you don't. You're not feeling great. Yeah, you don't hit a land for another two turns, and your opponent has ten mana and just cast an Ulamog, Ceaseless Hunger. Yeah, yeah, you're done. That's. I also put Karn at seven for um, synchronicity. Seventh, seven mana, yeah. Uh, and also, don't forget, uh, in the article where they previewed Karn, uh, Doug Beyer was the one who was read the article, and please correct me if I'm wrong, people, but he said that Karn cost seven to mirror the Urza lands, so that was by design. This wasn't That wasn't a mistake. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I never read that. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Today I learned something. Uh, yeah, I'm- also, Karn's abilities are time travel. That is true. Karn exiles the the exiles the permanents, and then when you ultimate, they just time travel back into the future into your to the beginning of the game. Because Karn was originally created as a silver construct, as uh, organic matter. Silver is the only thing that can travel through time. Well, effectively, and not just either get completely killed or warped. It yeah, it was the only thing that could. You want you the, wonder why time travel isn't a, isn't a plot point anymore in Magic? Yeah, it was the only thing that was stable. I mean. Had yep. Lazatep to get through just planar travel, but time travel needs silver. It's weird. But yeah. yeah, I put mine at six over Elspeth just because Elspeth was amazing and standard, but Karn has had a much longer lifespan. Yeah. I guess you can call it in yep. uh, constructive formats. So that's the only reason mm-hmm. that bumped him above Elspeth there. Yep. So we're going to move up to my number five my now. Num- my number five, but John's number six and eight. And I'm going to call minor, minor BS on it, but I understand where you were, you were going with so this. Uh, what are your number fives? My number fives are the dual threat to fairies, the blue white to fairies that have come out in the last two and a half or so years. That's the three mana, or let's go older. So Teferi Hero of Dominaria, because that is your number eight, uh, is the yes. three blue and a white four mana to fairy, or four lower thief to fairy. With plus one draw a card at the beginning of your next end step, untap two lands. Hey, by the way, remember that Garrick that untapped two lands? Yeah, this is a planeswalker that draws you a card and untaps. You know what's also amazing at two mana? Counterspells. <laughs> anyway. Teferi, the best the best three mana planeswalker that costs five. Yes, exactly. Three three is a really key theme here. Anyway, minus three is put target non-land permanent on into its owner's library third from the top. Hey, look, three again. Uh, and a minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. That is the, that was the like win con for a lot of the control decks is get to ferry up to eight because your opponent's probably not going to answer it. And then you're just, or you bounce something and then like, yeah, it, you start exiling it when you draw, start extra drawing cards. Cause that plus one, if you get them down to, up to nine and then you minus eight and then you can start plusing again. Every time you plus one, you exile. It's gross. No, the three mana yeah, one. And well, the big thing about Teferi Hero Dominaria is that it enabled a win conditionless deck. Um, because Teferi was not only was the win condition not only from the emblem, but uh late in the game you could go play Teferi minus Teferi on himself. Um and that caused an incomplete a uh play pattern that wasn't super great. And when they, they did do an, a functional errata to Teferi for his plus one. Where you didn't have to, uh, where you could, you didn't, you weren't forced to untap your opponent's lands, but 
they they did not do a functional errata, which which would have been a power level errata to Teferi because some people were wondering whether or not they would errata his minus three to be another target permanent to remove that loop. Uh, but they never did. So yeah. and that was John's number eight. Uh, and yes, my so his number five, not my number six, number six, which is also your number, my five. number five, is three mana Teferi Time Raveler. Uh, so this is a one blue and a white four mana or four loyalty. My bad. Planeswalker Teferi with a static ability. Now I talked about a little bit with Karn, uh, the great creator. I'm going to go on record here as saying I'm pr- like, I get what they were trying to do with these static abilities. I'm saying it's now, cause there's another one later on that we're going to talk about that even is more busted than this. I get what they were trying to do, but it was a huge mistake. Static abilities on planeswalkers that like this Teferi one where each opponent can cast spells only at a time they can cast a sorcery. The amount of times that I watched people walk into a lot of these static abilities that lock you out of an ability of a normal game set of magic that you would maybe expect from like an enchantment. But if an enchantment was there, you'd be like, oh, that enchantment's there on the battlefield. It's doing this. You're, we've been so conditioned with planeswalkers to be like, you tick it up, you tick it down. And with the exception of some of the Jaces and other ones that, you know, give minus two, minus zero, minus two, minus one until my, your next turn kind of thing like that. That's it's a it's a permanent effect that hits just a creature for a turn. The static abilities are just gross and disgusting. Um, because while you he locks your opponent out from casting instance, basically you cast a counter spell and they can't counter your counter. It's horrible and I hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> until your next turn, you may only you may cast sorcery spells as though you had flash. So all kinds of cantrips and stuff like that, and eternal formats which like ponder and preordain all of a sudden are instants which are just make them even more broken like pre like ponder at instant speed is just gross <laughs> you think opt was good oh, god uh minus three though for teferi's return one t- up to one target artifact creature or enchantment to its owner's hand draw a card so usually your play pattern would be like you stick a teferi minus it bounce something in your opponent's hand and then you start upticking it and it's just disgusting your thoughts? Now, the, the thing that with Teferi is, A, I disagree about static abilities, but we're not here to have that debate. Um, with Teferi Time Raveler, the reason why he's on here is mainly because he's the che- with the cheapest effect that is this, you know, you can't cast I- instance as instance. Uh, the Teferi Mage of Zelfir from uh, Future Sight or Planar Chaos, one of the one of the Future Sight blocks, is, you know, two blue, 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 three, four with flash. You can cast other creatures with flash. Your opponents can only cast things as sorceries. You know, that is a very powerful effect. It back. This is the cheapest. It is a, this is the cheapest effect, which is a, it is a Teferi ability. It's the cheapest effect for it. And the big thing is that because he's blue-white, he's played in control decks. That is backbreaking for either in the control mirror or against decks trying to fight control. Because the best way to do so is either play instance so that they tap out on their turn. But now you have to do it on your turn. And Teferi starts at four loyalty, ticks up to five, which is very hard to deal with um, for some decks. And then the minus three... You know, to disrupt and bounce things is very annoying. But the real play pattern, why I put him up at six above Hero of Dominaria, is because Teferi can bounce your own things. You know, I was watching someone play like a Bant Snow deck or whatever, and they were like, attack it with Ice Fang Coodle, minus three Teferi, bounce my Coodle, go. And you're like, well, <laughs> I wonder what they're doing on the, on my turn. Going they're just going to cast the cast the Coodle and draw another card. going to get you um, good. Now, I mean, Teferi is costed nicely, and then they made Fry and M20 to answer Teferi for the red decks, because that high loyalty is a barrier to entry there. Um, but I think that Teferi Time Ravelers is very, very powerful with that static ability. Um, I think, arguably, it's the best static ability out of the entire group, just on a sheer power level thing. We'll, we'll get to the other one in a little bit that, that's on our list. Um, but I think Teferi Time Ravelers is very, very powerful. Um, and I don't know... And I mean, everyone acknowledges that it's very powerful. I'm trying to convince my roommate, Doug, that it is as powerful as people think it is, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So let, next, let's, let's go with your number four, but it's my number yes. nine. Yes. Um, which I think you're incorrect. And um, <laughs> you think we'll get to. I, I, to be fair, I, like I was debate, I was debating flipping these two as well. Yeah. So my number four is Liliana the Last Hope. I have her uh, nine. one black. Yeah. Ian has her at nine. Uh, one black black for a three loyalty Liliana. You can tick her up plus one. Give it give a creature minus two minus one until your next turn. 
minus two, you mill three, you may return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and then minus eight. Seven. I'm trying to do this from minus seven. You get an emblem with, at the beginning of your end step, you make two plus X zombies, where X is the number of zombies you control. Well, it's create X, it's those. create X to two zombies, where X is two yeah. plus the number. So basically, you start off making two zombies, and then, then you make four zombies, four zombies which then you have then you six make... zombies, and then it's 12 zombies, and then you make... Yeah, you make eight zombies. Yeah, it, yeah it, 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 it's an exponential curve. Yes. Well, not quite. It's curve. it's almost double. You're the math. Kind of. It's increment. Incremental it's, or exponential. It's definitely incremental. It's not. Well, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's um, weird. So the reason why I have Liliana so high on my list is because a I was right about her when we were doing the Eldritch Eldritch Moon set review, where I was like, you know, Liliana's good in like other formats. Like she's good in modern. I was weird. She kills I a lot of things on her, but yeah, she, she proved, she's good she, in legacy. She, proved, she kills a lot she of things. Proved me wrong. And her ultimate wins the game really fast, and it's really hard for other decks to deal with. Like creature decks can't deal with making you know two, then four, then six, then eight zombies every turn. I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you which decks do have a, an easy time against that. Liliana's on the other side of the battlefield that have also also ultimated, which has <laughs> yeah, happened on coverage before, where yeah. like literally it just ends up being whoever can actually cast other zombies to create their number bigger to eventually punch through. Yeah. And, like, the Liliana, like, yes, there's the Liliana tick up when you're against the control deck because you get that emblem and they can't beat it. And then there's the Liliana minus in the right in the right decks where it's, like, minus get my Tarmogoyf back, get my Tireless Tracker back, get my whatever back. It's just so good. And I think that a lot – it took a lot of people to get around to her. And um, we'll get to this in a little bit, but I have – she's higher on my list than Liliana the Veil. Yeah, now I, I think Liliana. I think I think Last Hope is better than Liliana. The I will agree with you on certain aspects. I mean, it's her plus her uptick kills Snapcaster Mages, which are usually one of the banes of her existence. Um, yeah. So Liliana, a lot of there was a there was a time period where the thought process shifted from we usually with uh, Grixis Death Death Shadow decks we would usually have Liliana the Veil in there, but it shifted once we realized. A lot of our, a lot of the threats that other Grixis Death Shadow decks are playing, if you can just shrink it down enough, it's easy to kill or easier to kill with Liliana Last Hope, and it makes your threats bigger than your opponents. Which usually, if you're, you know, threatening team or battle rage, might be that extra point of damage you need to trample over. So, and also Liliana Last Hope protects herself with a tick up, which is not very common. Yeah, which that's one like Liliana the Veil. Um, do you want to? Well, let's just go ahead and go to the number our number threes. Your number three is Liliana the Veil. Liliana the Veil is my number nine. Because yeah. um, we'll talk like Liliana the Veil is obviously one of the best planeswalkers printed. We both have her on our top ten. But why do you have her at three um, compared to where I've got where I've got her at nine? To be fair, it was honestly just a last almost a coin flip. I could have flipped either Liliana in spots just because the three mana Lilianas are really good. Just just really sheer power level good. Um, but I kind of like Liliana the Veil's. It's tricky. Her play patterns are trickier than like you really have to craft your own game plan around your opponent's game plan, and also because her her she's a th- one black black three loyalty planeswalker with a plus one. Each player discards a card, so you will have to be willing to maybe you're like turn one thoughtsies, turn two Inquisition of Kozilek, turn three Liliana the Veil, and your opponent's already like running low on car- good card resources and stuff like that. So they might be forced to pitch a land to keep a creature they need or something like that. And if they don't have any battlefield things, or you're maybe like, you know, your Inquisition Kozilekin and then Fatal Pushing something. Um, so then you can minus two her to target player sacrifices a creature, an edict effect, which is just amazing and back breaking, especially for a player like, you know, Boggles, Bogles, yeah. which, you know, there's a reason why Bogle decks actually switched over to playing that one card two, the white card two, that created an extra one one creature token as a sack outlet just in case Liliana. It was protection on that's like they literally changed a, a deck in their a card in their deck specifically to not fall prey to this particular ability. And it's also why they started main decking Leilana Sanctity because Liliana's edict does target. So it's just you know when when a deck folds so hard to one card. You have to make concessions to yeah, it, and yeah, like, and just like that kind of power level alone, where like literally decks were creating, changing cards in their deck just to beat this one card that was showing up in maybe a percentage of decks because they would just yeah. straight fold to it. Like that's a powerful concession you have to make. 
Enter minus six, yeah. which is very flavorful of the story, but doesn't really happen except in cube. Uh, separate all. I've I've been literally on ultimate and modern. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> separate all permanents target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of their choice. So you can do an all or none. You can split all their lands and all their creatures, or you can do all color of all mana of one color, all mana of the other color. It's a really weird split you can do. Um, I honestly never really put any thought process into that just because it would be a case of you know what's going on on the battlefield but yeah it all depends it's all context dependent uh i would i've been literally on ultimated from going down from eight lands down to four lands i also had one where my opponent was like you can have either your your eight goblin tokens or your lands and i said tokens yeah i'm gonna kill you with them yeah i'm just um, all at your face dude <laughs> but yeah it depends you know the the, the play patterns with with the veil make a little bit more sense and the ultimate's way trickier um, but obviously she's one of the most, she's very, very powerful. Um, and she kind of set the bar, I think for three mana planeswalkers for quite a while after that. I, I, I think I put, I think, you know, I'm going to say like, I guess innately I put her higher just because there's a higher skill floor. There's a higher pedigree to Liliana. Well, there's a pedigree, but I think there's also a higher skill floor in terms of knowing situationally what you need and you have to sure. craft a gameplay around her abilities. As I will opposed say to like Liliana, yeah, you can play her and then you can up minus however you need to at that given time you need to actually play into your liliana the veil kind of thing i will say that you know the best players are the ones who know when not to even activate their liliana the veil oh yeah that's another thing too you can stick her on three and not do anything with her and pass the turn yeah and your points like um, and you're like yeah pass the turn yeah <laughs> my number three and my number was your number four right. so this was one of our closer ones on yes. the list uh narset parter of veils she is one blue blue for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker at uncommon uh, spark at uncommon yeah uncommon turns out blue spells that can be pitched to force of will are pretty good um she has a minus two that looks look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal a non-creature non-land from among them put it into your hand put the rest of the bottom of your library in any order or in a random order it's basically a search for a scan to activation um that you can only do twice uh, also, the static ability, each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. This is mostly a nod for older formats. I don't play a ton of Legacy. I don't play a ton of Vintage. I don't play a ton of Canadian Highlander. But at the same time, when you got a card that just says your Ancestral Vision does nothing, is really, really good. When decks are trying to brainstorm, they're trying to preordain, they're trying to jace, you know, they're trying to do, you know, draw multiple cards in the turn. Narset just puts a hard stop on that. Yeah. It, and she's very good at someone it. Someone who does dabble a little bit more in some of those eternal formats where she is an utter backbreaking card to stick the battlefield. There are times where you literally just play Narset and don't even bother down ticking her ever. You leave her at five. Yeah. You just, like, if you need to look at the top four, fine, go right ahead. But, like, odds are you're going to see a, a Narset across the battlefield from you at five or three. Because yeah. one is just too easy to get pinged away. But, yeah, the fact that basically you're locking every opponent out of drawing, in, like, multiple cards a turn means you get that first card draw every turn, and that's it. Yeah. Like, don't forget that Leovold is a creature ver creature who has a static ability as well. Saw a lot of play in Legacy during Deathrite Shaman's heyday, which it then got banned. Uh, Leovold also got banned as command in Commander because of its oppressiveness with things like Windfall and you know other draw sevens. Yeah, so she also does the same. And then draw seven, I draw seven, you draw none, or you draw one. Well, yeah. Now I will also say that my roommate Doug and I have been testing. He he's been in love with taking turns for the longest time. Lilia or Narset plus uh, Dictative Crucifix or Howling Mind is a combo because I draw three cards on my turn because I have a howling two Howling Minds in play. You draw one card on your turn. Oh yeah, like literally. That's that's wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I completely not even thought of the taking. No, she's the fact that an un, an uncommon. Now we've had a couple rares on the list because more the spark brought in rares. So Teferi Time Raveler is a rare. Uh, Garrick's technically a rare. Garrick Wallspeaker, technically yeah. a rare. Because, okay, so technically a rare for the Lauren 5. We, we, we should mention this to the audience. No, you're laughing about it, but Mythic, uh, mythic uh, Rarity did not Planeswalkers. exist yeah. for Planeswalkers when Lauren was printed. They they only yes. upped it the next set, I think. They upped it during Shards of Alara. There was Lorwyn, in, or there was Shadowmore in between it. 
Um, but yeah, Shards of Alara introduced the mythic rarity and was the first set to put Planeswalkers at mythic. Yeah. Uh, the first three Planeswalkers were Ajani Vengeant, Elswith Knight Errant, and uh, Sarkinvol. I, I, to be fair, I will say I also can briefly considered Ajani Vengeant the Boros one uh, on there of GP. Yes. My god, he does work in my Jeskai Commander deck. Or not Commander, he does. Jeskai it's true. Highlander deck. It's, he's he's won a Pro Tour. He's so good. He's won a modern Pro he's Tour. So, yeah, he did, didn't he? <laughs> Sean McLaren, hats off to you, buddy. Yeah. Jeskai, baby. Uh, Anyways. Anyway, but yeah, Narset um, is just... I, I would say... I would have said before uh, Throne of Eldraine came out that she set the bar for three mana Planeswalkers. Like, that would have... Well... To be fair, I think Liliana the Veil set the bar for three mana planeswalkers. Well, I mean, she but, she, bumped, you know. she she set she's the current bar setter. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, granted, yes, she is well, she is lower on my list than Liliana the Veil, but like in terms of look how far we can push an uncommon planeswalker is like I think honestly what you said too is it's pitchable to force of will and force of negation. The fact that it's a straight yeah. up blue card that does this and it's a lock piece for yeah. a control deck is just disgusting and yeah. powerful. So you're number two is my number five. And um, I'll say this about, about this Planeswalker. All their abilities are super innocuous. There's no reason why this Planeswalker should be so high on, on our There's list. There's one reason why, and I'll tell you why. It's because it's <laughs> CMC2. It's CMC2, Ren and Six. It's a green-red Planeswalker yeah. with three loyalty, plus one, return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand, a minus one, Renin 6 deals 1 damage to any target, and a minus 7, you get an emblem with instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard have Retrace. Now, Retrace is a older... Uh, it's from Shadowmoor. Yeah, older, what's keyword? Basically, it says, you may cast instant and sorceries from your graveyard by discarding a land in addition to paying their other costs. Now, you get the emblem. You discard a land. You plus 1 Renin 6. You get the land back. Literally, every instant and sorcery card in your graveyard then just becomes castable for the rest of the game. Because you can just keep pitching yeah. that same land. But the reason why it is just so disgusting, and I put it so high on my list at two, is because I've been playing Legacy a lot lately. And this card, like, single-handedly brought, like, just reached down, grabbed Rug Delver by the scruff of its neck, and be like, get the heck over here. We'll get back on the top of the meta, boys. And just ripped it up. <laughs> she was just, she and her tree folkmen are just like, get up here. I'm going to wasteland lock the heck out of you. Uh, it's just if, like, obviously Ren and Six gets a lot better, the better, the, the older the format gets, because the better the lands get. Like if you're recurring a strip mine, you're recurring a wasteland, obviously you're doing it there. Funnel, you're recurring cycling lands. Funnily, funnily hey. enough, the minus one becomes like actually increasingly more relevant in older formats because X ones are actually like a lot more played, which is weird. If you think about it, like Del it pings away a Delver, it pings away yeah. Young Pyromancer, it pings away Snapcaster Mage, it's Noble Hierarch. Noble Hierarchs, a lot of uh what's the other one? The Eternal Witness, it pings away that. Yeah. There's just a whole it pings away um Oh gosh. Vampire Hex Mage. Yeah, yeah, Vampire Hex Mage. Basically well, basically Does it though? Isn't Sack Hex Mage, kill your Ren and Six, whatever. Not the point. I mean <laughs> That's you're you're you like you're playing it offensively at that point to basically yes. make sure they don't use it to blow away their uh dark yes, depths. I agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean that I've I've honestly cast it as a two mana kill two mana kill spell for a uh what's it called? Which I a hundred percent agree yeah. with. Especially when you you know your opponent just put a dark depths into their hand and haven't able to play it and you're just like, uh-huh, no, die. <laughs> die now. Yes. You yes, die yes, before yes. I die. So you're not getting a 2020 out of this. Um, I know you put it a little lower because you've only really been playing modern. You haven't done a whole lot of legacy. I jumped it up on my list. Just be just the sheer fact that it has just it land like modern horizons just stomped its foot on legacy. It's like, yo, what's up? I'm here. Yeah. Ren and, having played with Renesix, I was playing against, like I said, I was playing against Doug and I had multiple teams. I was, pl I was playing a teamer mid range control deck. I jammed a turn two Oko and I ultimately, he's like, I can't win. Because, like, discard this land, remand your spell. Discard this land, cryptic command your spell. It was just, just brutal. Is it Oko or Renin 6? Brutal. It was, yeah, the Oko Renin 6 deck. Oh, okay. But yeah, speaking, speaking of. Speaking of Oko, now, here's the thing. I'm, I, John has Oko at number two. I have Oko I at number eight. Here's why. Yep. That eight is going to change in a hurry. Uh, it's still very early in Oko's life in constructed formats. 
literally the weekend it was released, I played against it in Legacy. <laughs> it's in a, it's just like I mentioned, Renan Six is in those Rug Delver decks. It's in Rug Delver. Yep. Some people were playing it yep. in the Stifle version as well. Um, yeah, so it's, it's Oko, hilarious against the Stifle Knot version. Good lord. Yeah, Oko, for who needs no introduction at this Thief point? Thief of Crowns. One blue Thief, green. Thief of Crowns. Four loyalty. Yeah, Thief of Crowns, Oko. Uh, four loyalty planeswalker. Plus two, create a food token. Plus one, uh, target artifacted creature becomes a 3 3 elk and loses all other abilities. Um, and then minus five does nothing. Um, nothing of nothing of consequence. Well, exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls the power three or less. Yeah. So I will say this: it's actually utterly hilarious to minus five this against prison. Oh, fair. Yeah. Think. Of, uh, yeah. And fair. so rabble master, you you trade away your goblin rabble master, or you 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 bake a yeah. food and you're like, give me your goblin rabble master. That's fair. Um. So Oko, right. How do how do how do you describe the Oko play pattern? Oko patterns? is Broko. So Oko, you make a food, you make a three three every other turn. That's on an empty board. Um, you're playing against, you know, you're pl- you're trying to turn the corner against control. Uh, in the deck I was playing, I was playing Ice Fang Quotals and Snapcaster Mages as the only creatures. Uh, I was like, okay, play Oko, make my make my Ice Fang Quotal and Elk attack for five. Next turn, make my Astrolabe a three three attack for eight. You know, it's. He can end the game very fast if you if you have the right supporting cast around mm-hmm. him, and then like for I don't know if you watched any of the open from this past weekend, oh, I did. Uh, but so Sam Black played a Mystic Mystic Sanctuary Soul Tide oh, deck, deck was which sick. if we're talking about best ten lands, if we're talking about best ten lands, Mystic Sanctuary is slowly creeping up to how would, top how good it was. I would not be surprised if it would make a top ten list for that one. And Sam Black said, well, Sam Black had two Okos in his sideboard, and Sam Black said. You know, and this is, I'm paraphrasing, but this, it's mostly a correct quote. It's like, I'm somewhere over 50% that Oko is the most broken planeswalker of all time. It, it, and <laughs> I, I, here's the reason why I have him so low. And like I said, he's been out for what, three weeks now? Two yeah, weeks? Barely a month. Not even a month. Like, came out beginning of October, and we're in the middle of October right now. Yeah. Oko just needs a body of work behind him to basically be like, look how, look how ridiculous and disgusting I am. And it's coming. The his body of work is like so in standard right now. Golos and Field of the Dead are the deck du jour. If that gets banned, Oko is just going to run rampant over standard for for a little while. Um, you're going to have to learn how to play around Oko because it's a three mana planeswalker that can land on turn two thanks to Gilded Goose, and then you're literally making more mana for your goose of like making a food yeah. token. Oh, by the way, when you do that food token, it goes from it goes to six loyalty on turn two. There's not a card in standard right now outside of uh what's it, Midnight Rider, that can yeah. deal with this basically before turn four. Yeah. I I asked this last say, week on the I, podcast, but I'm say like that because you can do the Love Struck Beast, but probably that's gonna become a three three. Yeah. I uh, I asked this last week, but like why does Oko go from four to six? Why can't it go from three to five? Why can't Fry kill it if it ticks up? You know, that was, yeah, you know, we talked, yeah, we, I'm sure there's a yeah, reason. We talked about it last week. I'm sure there's a reason. I, and the worst part is, as you mentioned, oh, the M file will be coming out later this week. And they didn't talk about Oko in the M file. Yeah, they talked about Garrick and the Royal Scions. They did not mention Like, there's another Oko. three mana Anyways. Walker in the set that just came out that doesn't even scratch the list because. To be fair, Royal Scions is seeing played in modern. It's like a one of in like GDS decks. Yeah, I've been seeing that. I don't want because I mean, yeah. and Delver. It's there's it's one of in Delver too. Strike is so great. Um, but no, yeah, Thief of Crowns. Uh, it would honestly be higher if it had more body of work. That's like I literally am just telling. I'm like my list will change absolutely, and I, I, I put it at eight on my list just because of the fact that it does not have that body of work. So see what's going to happen <laughs> is that the Elspeth in Theros beyond uh, beyond the underworld is going to be like black a two mana black white planeswalker or whatever and just going to be like what the hell was your dare how dare no anyways um, so, all right so before we talk about run, the number one down. so John exactly let's run through your 10 yeah to my two. number my number ten was Garrick Wildspeaker from Lorwyn my number nine is Liliana of the Veil from Innistrad my number eight here Teferi Hero of Dominaria from Dominaria yep seven Karn Liberated from New Phyrexia six Teferi Time Raveler from War of the Spark. Five, Renan Six from Modern Horizons. Four, Liliana the Last Hope from Eldritch Moon. Three, Narset Parter of Veils from War of the Spark. And two, Oko Thief of Crowns from Throne of Eldraine. Ian, 10 to 2. Uh, 10 to 2. At 10, Ashiok Nightmare Weaver from 
Theros. Number nine, Liliana, The Last Hope from Eldritch Moon. Number eight, Oko, Thief of Crowns from Throne of Eldraine. Number seven, also from Theros, Elspeth, Elspeth, Sun's Champion. Number six, Karn Liberated from Scars Mirror? New Phyrexia. Uh, number five were the, the blue white Teferi bunch of Teferi Hero Dominaria from Dominaria and Teferi Time Raveler of War of the Spark. Number four, Narset Parter of Veils, also from War of the Spark. Number three, Liliana of the Veil from Innistrad. And number two, Renin Six from Modern Horizons. That leaves us with so, number one. To no one's surprise. As Pat Chapin once put it, he the, <laughs> I don't even remember the line from his rap, but. <laughs> He's the best around. No one's ever going to... Well, Oko might take him down. We'll he's see. he's the best around uh, right now. Jace, the Mind Sculptor, the infamous JTMS. Two blue, blue, three loyalty Planeswalker. First Planeswalker with four loyalty abilities, plus two. You can, you look at the top card of Target Player's Library. You may put it on the bottom of their That's deck. That's called Fate Ma- Ceiling. Uh, yep. Uh, zero is Brainstorm. Draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand back on top of your library, a.k.a. Brainstorm. Minus one, return target creature to its owner's hand, a.k.a. unsummon. And then minus 12, exile target player's library. They then shuffle their hand into their library. Yeah, so you, you better... If you see Jace the Mind Sculptor start upticking on you, it is the probably one of the most sinking feelings you can have playing Magic because you know at that point your your opponent has stopped brainstorming with its, with its zero ability. He, your opponent, he, she, they, has an amazing hand that they don't need to worry about looking at three at cards and then putting two back. They have what they need and they're looking to make sure you don't get anything that will stop you from interrupting them. So they'll look at the top card of your library and be like, Oh cool. It's a land. They have four, five, they have five or six on the battlefield. Jace is at six or you know, Jace is at five. Cool. You get a land next card. Oh, that's yeah. a bomb. That would kill my Jace to the bottom of the deck with you. Like you're just, you're, you manipulate your opponent's deck. You're sculpting your gameplay, and it's and and then don't forget, Jace can also target yourself. You can scry one if you feel like you need to instead of fate sealing them. Context dependent, of course, but it's just like there's so many things about Jace, and Jace was banned in Modern for a long time because of unhealthy play patterns. They unbanned Jace and Bloodbraid Elf at the same time, and more or less they kept each other in check. You didn't, uh, and at you the didn't time, mention, and still you didn't standard Cobblade. Yeah, Cawblade. Like, like he got banned in standard because yeah, just just it was yeah. Jace plus uh, uh, Stoneforge Stone Mystic. Mystic. Good pairing. Who knew? Uh, they're both legal and modern again. Uh, funnily enough, so Jace was banned for the longest time because and I mentioned Jace is so powerful. Like honestly, in modern, Jace is okay. I mean, Jace can still end the game. Right. You know, your opponent starts taking up Jace, you're still probably going to lose. And it's just that he's no longer, he's not the best thing you, you could be doing in modern because there's so many decks that could just, you tap out on turn four for a Jace, you're probably dead. Force of negation changes the calculus a little bit. But at the same time, it's just, it's it ridiculous. Has, yeah. Having force of negation in the format, being able to counterspell something, still doesn't stop a creature. Nope. Um, yeah, you can, yeah. Doesn't stop a Vibrate yeah, Elf. Unstump, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the worst feel. Is like you play Jace on four as the control deck. You're like, oh, I'm a brainstorm. Cool. Pass the turn. Your opponent goes, all right, man number four, Bloodbraid Elf, bolt your Jace, <laughs> and then swing at your face for like. It's like it's just not even fair at that point. You cascade yeah. into a bolt and just bolt Jace off. Whatever. No biggie. Yeah. You just did four to brain pay four mana to brainstorm. How's yeah. that feel? No, in Legacy though, that's where Jace shines, uh, namely just because it is. It is something that, as a player on the other side of the board, you have to stop them from having a Jace. Like, if you're able to kill it the next turn, that's fine. Like, let it resolve. Yeah, you might get your one of your Tarmogoyves bounced back, but hey, that still left your uh, your flip Delver on the battlefield. Cool. Bop. They have to plus two it just to not have it die the next turn. And then by that point, you're probably running another Tarm- your Tarmogoyve back out, and it's going to die again anyway. Uh, but... You you yeah. fight you don't fight the Jace if you have enough of a board state you don't fight the Jace you fight whatever comes after the Jace yeah it's it and you know who's best friends with Jace three mana to fairy oh yeah that's just <laughs> yeah turn running a turn three to fairy into a turn four Jace is just absolutely just because you can't counter it yeah you just literally it, it's so and then you you minus the to fairy anyway to clear the battlefield for so you need to be casting multiple creatures a turn just to deal with oh wait. Both of them can bounce it. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's stere- the stereotypical number one pick, but 
I mean, it's just one of on just sheer power level of everything it can do. Like if it had three abilities, like say you remove the, I guess the unsummon and put the brainstorm as a minus one. It's still a strong planeswalker. It's nowhere near as broken. No, the fact, like, honestly, I believe that zero ability to brainstorm is what really pushes it over the top. Yeah. There's been a lot of discussions like, um, Evan Irwin has talked spoken multiple times about talking with like Mike Turian, who's on the Magic Design team for uh for for World Wake when Jason Mon Sculpture was made, and he was like, you know, we tried the brainstorm as a minus one, but it just wasn't awesome. You know? And so they put it at zero. And it's just like what? Yeah. I mean, you're right, but it's like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think that's also a cool little thought exercise we could do at some point is like, hey, let's take some of these most powerful planeswalkers and like knock their power level down how would you tweak a thing and like obviously jace you make that you know, you drop you chop so it. you're you're you know, I was gonna say like for instance we don't have to do it now because we're running close to end, end here but like if like to tweak planeswalkers like for instance jace has four abilities chop it down to three change the plus minus of one of them maybe make it i don't know a plus one to fate seal so it's harder to get to his ultimate and so, i don't know there's so many ways to like maybe change his mana cost of five two three blue blue or something like that There's... well i mean planeswalkers are very knobby they have a lot of knobs you can turn oh, on yeah. them and that's um that's and we could definitely we could definitely do that with a couple of planeswalkers but yeah this was i think it was a good exercise the no- the no- but um, that's a kind of good way to wrap it up though the knobs on a lot of these planeswalkers on this top 10 have been turned and tuned slightly higher than all their other compatriots and that's why they're up here yeah so ian if people wanted to tell us how or tell you how you're wrong where can you they guys do can so? Tell me how wrong I am on Twitter at Dixon IJ. That's right. I'm telling you at me on Twitter, you jerks. No, you're not jerks. You're, you're great. I really, we really do appreciate you listening. Uh, no, just at me on Twitter. If you have agreements, disagreements with this list at Dixon IJ, that's D I X O N I J. You guys can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. Uh, yeah, I know I keep promising I'd stream more, but you know, life. Oop. <laughs> anyway, John, where can those lovely folks at home find you on the social media? You guys can tell me that I'm wrong on Twitter at jwiley129. That's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. I'm also in Twitch chats at the same handle. So if you see me floating around there, don't tell, don't hesitate to say hi or tell me how Oko shouldn't be up as high as John. two. Or why Lily... Yeah. Wrong, 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 <laughs> wrong, 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 You're wrong. Uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. If you're if you want to use the podcast directly and tell us how wrong we are, you can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes in the Mize, or you can choose an email at Eyes in the Mize at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time.